Hi, good morning. Uh, welcome to another virtual gathering of Redemption City Church. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Vern, and I'm one of the members at RCC. Uh, and this morning, I have the distinct privilege of sharing God's Word with you from Jonah chapter 2. So if you would, please go ahead and make your way there to Jonah 2. And, and as you do that, I just want to let you know about a cool opportunity that Pastor Stephen has this morning. Uh, so he's actually um, preaching for another church, a, a sister congregation within the Soma family of churches, uh, Great Bay Gospel Fellowship. They're located close to the Jersey Shore. And, and so uh, one thing to know about RCC is uh, while we do really want to invest in the neighborhood and in this particular city that the Lord has called us to, we also want to partner with like-minded churches from other cities and, and really all over the world uh, for the sake of mutual encouragement and for mutual support. Uh, as we really believe that's what it's going to take to saturate the whole world with the good news of Jesus. And so we're so thrilled Stephen has the opportunity to be there today to support those brothers and sisters. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to pause and we're going to pray for both him and for their congregation. Um, but our passage today, we're going to be picking up again in Jonah, as I mentioned. And so uh, we're going to be looking specifically at Jonah 2, which is is kind of the meat of Jonah, to be honest. It, it's the part where you know, most of us remember uh, hearing this story as kids. So last week we talked about at the end of chapter one, Jonah being swallowed by the fish. This week we're going to see that he is inside the belly of the fish and he's actually crying out to God and praying. And then at the end of our chapter, Jonah is then vomited out of the fish. And so uh, something most of you are probably familiar with. And so I just want to give a, a word of caution to us this morning, because I think when something is familiar there's always a chance that we think we, we already know this story. And so you might not really tune in. You might not really consider what the Lord might have to say to you this morning. And so I just want to caution you against that. Don't allow yourself to be blinded by what may be a really fresh and helpful word from the Lord this morning. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and read the passage for us. I'm going to begin at the end of chapter 1 and go all the way through chapter 2, and I'm going to pause and, and just take a moment to pray both for us and as well for Stephen this morning as he's preaching at Great Bay. So beginning in verse 17, it says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, your goodness to us in, in preserving this text for us today. Uh, we believe that you have a, a word that you want to speak to us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, just lay bare uh, the truth that you would have for us to know. But then, Lord, we also want to not only be hearers of the word, we want to be doers also. And so we pray that you would help us to not only know these words in this text, but to also apply it. May this be a time of worship as we sit under your preached word. And we pray the same as we, uh, as we think about uh, Pastor Stephen and, and the brothers and sisters at Great Bay Fellowship. I pray that you would give Stephen uh, great energy uh, and uh, give him great power as he brings your word this morning from Act 7. Uh, I pray that you would uh, give the, the brothers and sisters there uh, just hearts of joy and, and, and encouragement and that they would be very uh, warming and welping, welcoming to Pastor Stephen. Uh, yeah, Lord, we just pray that your will would be done in that church body just as you're doing your will in Redemption City Church. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, not only to us, but the churches around the world. And, and we love to see the way that you're at work uh, building your kingdom. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's three key points that I want for us to take away from this text today. The first one is this. The Lord intervenes to confront the disobedience of his people. The Lord intervenes to confront the disobedience of his people. And we saw that very clearly last week in chapter 1, didn't we? If you'll remember, we learned last week, Jonah is, uh, he receives this call from God to go to Nineveh. And then not only does he not obey God, but he actually runs in the exact opposite direction. He tries to physically run away from God's call. So he gets on a, a boat and he boards it headed for Tarshish. Uh, and he, he goes to sleep. Apparently he thought he had gotten away with it. Uh, obviously he did not because as he's sleeping, uh, the Lord hurls a great storm upon the sea. And, and all the crew members are panicking and they wake Jonah up. And, and Jonah realizes really, really quickly that this is his fault. And he knows that the only way that the storm is going to be quieted down is if he is actually thrown overboard. And so after some deliberation and, and talking through it, the crew members decide, okay, I guess that's what we have to do. And, and so they do just that. They actually toss him overboard into the sea. And uh, for those of you who were here with us last week, uh, and when Dan preached from chapter one, I want to remind you of a really important question that Dan asked. It was this. He said, where might you be running from God's mission in your own life? And I think it's an incredibly important question. We see very clearly in our study of Jonah so far that the Lord will confront the disobedience of his people. Now, the good news is he confronts our disobedience with great grace. And not only does God extend his grace to us at the moment of salvation, when we first place our faith in Jesus, he also continues to extend daily grace to us as we're increasingly conformed into the image of Jesus. Now, admittedly, this probably did not feel very gracious to Jonah at the time. I've never been inside a fish, but I have to imagine it didn't smell good. Uh, it was probably really dark, and uh, the textures inside the fish were probably not great, and... You know, a, a lot to not like about being inside a fish. I am quite sure of that. Nevertheless, 
Jonah began to understand, and of course, from this perspective, we can see now that this was an amazingly gracious act of God, not only for Jonah, but eventually also for Nineveh. And so, as Jonah was first plunged into the sea, it seemed to be a sea of death. But because of the Lord's kindness and his goodness, it turned out to be a sea of deliverance. Now, if this kind of idea sounds somewhat familiar to you, it should. Because the reality is, all of us, just like Jonah, have gone astray from God's mission. If you were a Christian, it's not because of your effort and your goodwill towards God. No, in fact, if you were a Christian, it's because when you were completely hopeless, when you were dead in your sins, God the Father set his affection upon you. Jesus the Son died the penalty for your sins as your sinless substitute. And God the Holy Spirit gave you faith. He gave you new life to believe and hold on to the promise of God's salvation worked out on your behalf. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that we celebrate. And if you're here this morning and and you're listening in and you're not currently a follower of Jesus, please know this message can be good news for you as well. The Bible teaches that we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's perfect standard. And frankly, we don't even need to read the Bible to know that, do we? I mean, you could just look at your social media feed and see that. If you want to see total depravity on full display, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. (laughs) Or you could just simply look at your own life your own thoughts, your behaviors when no one else is watching. You can examine your own life and very quickly realize how imperfect you are. We all miss the mark of God's holy character. And that's exactly what sin is when you read about sin in the Bible. But the good news is that God in his great mercy and grace actively seeks out sinners just like you and just like me. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for sin. He rose victorious over the grave, and he did all that so that he could absorb the judgment of God if we would simply turn from our sin and trust in him. But it gets even better than that. The Bible says not only can we have our sins taken away and have that judgment taken off of our shoulders, but if we trust in Jesus, we actually get his righteousness credited to us. And so if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to plead with you. Please make this the day that you surrender your life to Jesus. I can't promise you that it will make all of your problems go away, but I can promise you that it will be worth it. He is a good and gracious God, and he is worth trusting in. Now, if you have any questions about what that looks like, I would be more than happy to talk with you about that personally. Uh, If you have other friends that you know that are connected with RCC, I'm sure that they would be more than happy to talk with you about that as well. So that's point number one. Point number two, then, is is related, and it's this. The proper response to God's discipline is desperate prayer and submission. The proper response to God's discipline is desperate prayer and submission. 
Now, it's worth pointing out that in verses 2 through 9, we see a little bit of a different literary structure, right? And so you probably noticed this even as you were reading through your Bible. Uh, Jonah 2 might be a little bit indented, uh, so just the, the words on the page look a little bit different. Uh, and that's because this is poetry, right? So everything up to this point has been simply narrative. Jonah's recounting what has happened to him up to that point. And verses 2 through 9 are, are still trying to convey information, but that's not the only thing that they're doing. So I think the reason Jonah employs poetry here, the reason he uses some of the imagery and the metaphorical language, is because he wants not only to convey information to us, he wants us to feel the weight of what happened to him. He wants us to feel the, the desperate hopelessness and the subsequent grace that God met him with in that hopelessness. And so I'm going to read verses 2 through 9 again. And as I do, I want you to try as best you can to really feel the weight of these words, to put yourself in Jonah's position as best you can. So again, picking up in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Those who hope in vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. <clears throat> now, statistically speaking, I would say it's highly unlikely that you were ever swallowed by a creature of any kind during your lifetime. Hopefully. <laughs> but with that said, we do believe that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we also believe that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, just as a loving mother or father would. So friends, it's important to realize that when we walk in willful disobedience to God, we can and we should expect that he's going to confront us in our disobedience and he's going to discipline us. Now that may make you feel uncomfortable. So let me, let me pause and tell you what I'm not saying. That doesn't mean that any hard thing that ever happens in your life is a result of God's discipline. I think we should fully reject that notion. Uh, you know, we're going to experience hardship simply by the result of living in a broken and fallen world. And so if you stub your toe when you're walking down the hall tonight, I don't want you to think, ah, I'm under God's judgment. You know, that, that may be the case, uh, but probably not. More than likely, uh, that's just a result of the fall and your bad coordination. Uh, but, you know, we do want to at least have a category for knowing that God will discipline those whom he loves. And he'll do so for our good, to serve our greater joy and obedience in him. 
Now, in those moments, I want to encourage us to respond in the same way that Jonah does here. In desperation, with desperate prayer and submission to whatever God asks of us. See, the discipline of the Lord is not something we need to fear because it's actually intended for our ultimate good. Now, the third and final point I want to see, I want us to see here this morning is that the Lord responds graciously to those who repent and he places them back on his mission. Now, I kind of cheated with this last point because it's really two points in one. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, let me repeat it again. The Lord responds graciously to those who repent and places them back on his mission. Now, remember we noticed earlier how Jonah attributed the storm to God's judgment upon him. Now, it's interesting. We see the same thing as he considers his miraculous deliverance. Consider verse 6. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. In verse 9, we read very simply, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then in verse 10, we, we see uh, the narrative of the, the physical act of Jonah's salvation from the fish. Right? The Lord speaks to the fish, and then the fish spits Jonah out onto dry land. Now, as we get into chapter 3 next week, we're going to see that not only did God save Jonah from the belly of the fish to save his physical life, but he also saved him so that he could put him back on the mission to which he had called him back in chapter 1. And this is how we see God operate throughout all of the scriptures. Think back to Exodus. So uh, a couple years ago, we went through Exodus as a church family, and uh, you'll remember Exodus, uh, the center of the story is that Israel is enslaved to Egypt. And so they're under this wicked king, Pharaoh, who will not let them go. And, and not only are they enslaved, but he increases the burdens that he's putting on them regularly, uh, just brutalizing them. And so God uh, finds out about this injustice, and so he, he uh, finds a way to, to rescue Israel out of Egypt. He sends two just ordinary guys, Moses and Aaron, to keep talking to Pharaoh, and eventually they're able to escape. Uh, the Lord inflicts a bunch of plagues on them. Um, but anyway, once Israel gets out and they're rescued, you might think, great, the story's over. God rescued his people. But in some ways, that's just the beginning. That was the beginning of God's rescue plan for the world. And so he tells Israel once they've been rescued out of Egypt, he says, okay, because I have delivered you, now you will be a light to the nations. You will be a city on a hill. And so God's people are meant to then reach the world and, and bring in more worshipers of the one true God. We see this idea carried through to the New Testament. In the book of Acts, if you read that, there's a consistent pattern of the gospel being preached, people repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus, and so the church grows, and then the church sends people out or it scatters because of persecution. So there's this, this life cycle to a church that it, uh, the gospel goes forth, seeds grow up, they're planted, and, and people begin to flourish in that gospel ministry, but not so that they can continue to, to build up themselves, but rather so that they can go out and scatter more seed for the sake of the kingdom. And so, brothers and sisters, this is our story as well. If you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and submitted yourself to his lordship, then you too have been enlisted in the great task of making disciples. 
And for some of you, that may mean something very radical. It may mean that God's calling you to sell your possessions and move to a remote part of the world to bring the gospel to a people that have never heard of Jesus. That may very well be what God is calling you to. For others of you, it may mean you need to alter some of your career decisions or lifestyle choices so that you can be more freed up to pursue God's mission. And for others of you still, it might mean simply walking across the street and having a conversation with your neighbor that maybe you've waved to a hundred times, but you've never actually talked to them and gotten to know them so that you might be able to share how Jesus has transformed your life. And if we were to just step back and, and really sum up this passage in one sentence, which, by the way, if you haven't been listening at all, I'm about to give you the whole point in one sentence, so you're welcome. You can just tune out the, the previous uh, several words I said. <laughs> but the, the main point of the passage is this. The Lord sovereignly intervenes in the lives of his people to accomplish his mission. The Lord sovereignly intervenes in the lives of his people to accomplish his mission. Now, the truth is, God doesn't need us at all. He just doesn't. He's not sitting on the sideline anxiously thinking, oh man, I really hope Vernon gets in the game and, and that he can start sharing the gospel with people more so that then my kingdom can be built up. No, he's not fretting about that. But what he does want is to draw us into his mission because he loves us, because he knows that'll be for our good and for our, uh, our enjoyment of him. And so I want to leave us with a challenge to respond very practically to this passage. Because the problem is when we talk about the mission of God, at least in my experience, if I'm not careful, it could just become this lofty concept that just kind of sits up here and I never do anything with it. So I want us to each leave with a, a specific challenge today, including myself, to identify one specific way that we can walk in greater obedience to God's mission. Now, I gave a few examples earlier, but there's numerous other ones you could think of. And so I want you to take some time, and I want you to think, and I want you to pray, and ask the Lord, what is it that you would have me do to grow in obedience to pursuing your mission? And after you've done that, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to then bring in someone else within the RCC family to talk through that with, whether that's someone in your DNA group or in your city group, uh, or if you're not plugged in in either of those ways, just anyone that's attached to the RCC family who can just gently and lovingly hold you accountable. I believe that one of the primary ways that the Lord intends for us to grow as missionaries is by simply spurring one another on and building one another up. So friends, let's go this week and let's help each other follow Jesus more faithfully. Now, I also want to acknowledge that uh, for some of you listening to the message today, this all sounds very foreign to you. And even now, you're kind of thinking, I, I don't really know what you're talking about when you say God's mission. Uh, and that's fair. I understand what you're saying. Maybe you're, you're looking at your life and you think, you know, I, I think I have things going pretty much the way I want. I don't really see a need to change. Now, if that's where you're at this morning, I, I'm not going to have a perfectly crafted argument uh, that I'm going to be able to use to sway your opinion. But what I can say, very honestly, 
is that becoming a Christian and following Jesus over the last several years has been the greatest source of lasting joy and contentment that I have ever known. And don't get me wrong, I've been tempted many, many times, and I've tried to create my own path, create my own mission, whether that's trying to build up my career and climb the corporate ladder, whether that's finding my identity as a husband and trying to be you know, the perfect husband and find all of my fulfillment in my wife or, or just you know, make my kids my entire world and, and find my identity in being a dad or just you know, finding my identity and having lots of friends and being well thought of. And, and let me just tell you that the end of all of those things is empty. And don't get me wrong, they're good gifts. I love that I have a great job and that I've been able to, to have a little bit of success in my career. I love that I have a, an amazing wife and that I have two beautiful children and I love that I have really good friends and, and I have all these things. But at the same time, if I look to one of those for satisfaction or to define me, that's just going to lead to hopelessness. And I would say, if you have none of those things, if you don't have a great job, if, you don't, if you're not married, if you don't have kids, if you're looking after those things to give you satisfaction, let me just tell you, they will not satisfy you. They will not bring lasting contentment. If you have none of those things, but you have Jesus, then friend, you've got everything. And so I urge you again this morning, I know I've, I've already said this, but if you've not placed your trust in Jesus, come to him today. And as I said earlier, Jesus will not make all of your problems go away. He's going to do something that's actually better than that. He's going to give you his very self, a relationship with God. And the best thing about a relationship with God is Unlike a human relationship, like a spouse or a friend, he's never going to let you down. He's never going to be unfaithful. He's always trustworthy, always reliable, always good. And again, if you have any questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus or, or what it would look like to follow in, in greater obedience to God's mission, I would love to talk with you about that. And I know any of the members of RCC would love to have that conversation with you as well. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to continue in our worship this morning as we take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for loving us. We thank you for the way that you uh, worked in Jonah's life and the way you preserved this story so that we could look and see uh, how amazing and how deep your grace truly is. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I thank you that when I was dead in my sin, when I was hopeless, uh, when I uh, just came, came to the end of myself, Lord, that you revealed yourself to me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for rising uh, for my justification. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving me new life and making me more into the image of Jesus. And for all the ways that I fail, thank you that there is grace that abounds. And thank you, Lord, that that is true for every single person listening in this morning. God, I pray that uh, for each of us, you would remind us how deeply we are loved and cared for, and that you would draw us further into yourself today. 
We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.